From the Amazon to the Himalayas, God is accomplishing his mission. Welcome to Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. Stories and conversations with the global church and for the global church about the mission of God in the world. And now here is your host, Paul Aiken. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. I'm your host, Paul Aiken, and in this episode, we will hear about some of the exciting things that the Lord is doing in Central Asia. Our guest today is Jeremy, and Jeremy and his wife live in Central Asia. I've known Jeremy for several years and have appreciated his work for more than a decade now, and I'm excited for you to hear directly from him today. Jeremy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Paul. Great to be here with you guys. Appreciate it. It's an honor. Jeremy, why don't you start by just telling us a little bit about you and your family? Yeah, my wife and I have four kids. They're all grown back in the U.S. now, but they grew up on the field in different parts of Central Asia. When we first went out, our oldest son, who's now 32, was a six-month-old. And we've been in a number of countries in Central Asia during that time, and have just been blessed to be a part of what God is doing out here. Yeah, so we're excited to to be on this podcast with you guys this morning. Thanks, Jeremy. You know, one of the things that I always love to hear is how different people came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And so I would love for you just to share with our listeners briefly your salvation testimony. Sure. Yeah, that was an adventure for me. I grew up in a Christian home. In fact, I'm a TCK, so I grew up on the field. My parents were with an evangelical organization, actually went to Central Asia, felt the call of God all those years ago. And so I heard the gospel growing up in and out of church and Sunday school. And, but it wasn't really till I was 19 years old, I was in my second year of college, that I really repented and came to the Lord. I, I was actually Christmas break back with my family who were living in Iran at that point just went to a, the international church where I had gone as a high schooler right from the beginning of that service. God just started speaking to my heart. I had gone way off, off track and uh, I had really not wanted anything to do with God and had been living life on my own, trying to be the king and trying to figure it all out and thought I could do that best. But really deep down inside, I, I was pretty unhappy. I'd, I'd get to quite a low point. Of course, I never would have admitted that. And yet the Holy Spirit just, again, used each part of that service to speak to me. After that service, I went home and and I knew I had to do business with God and got on my knees and cried out and repented to the Lord. It was wonderfully saved. Just felt really like a, a huge weight burden went off my shoulders. I sensed a joy that I'd never had before. Yeah, was able to spend again about another week or two with my family, which was really good because my my parents had known I was drifting far. So as soon as they came home, they were working with the Persian church at that point. They came home and I, I let them know. And of course, there was a lot of rejoicing there. Praise the Lord. It's always encouraging to hear the ways in which the Lord just draws people to himself. Jeremy, I would love to hear yeah, more man. about your story. You know, you mentioned that you all have been living and serving in different parts of Central Asia now for several decades, but I'd love to hear the story. How did you and your family end up making your way to Central Asia? 
Yeah, that was, again, just the clear hand of God. I think hadn't had, uh, after I came to the Lord, I eventually went back to school, hadn't really had a clear vision of really what I wanted to do. But what happened was I decided to take a break, a little sabbatical from school. Actually went back to Iran and decided to live with my family and, and try to spend some time with them and learn from my parents. And so I ended up being there for a couple of years. And I think very clearly in that period, I saw God at work as I saw a place that had so few witnesses, had so many people living in in darkness without any access to the gospel that God really started working in my heart. And in fact, I can really remember a very specific day. I was on a trip with the young professionals from the church that my folks were working with. And we were doing some outreach up in the northern part of the the country. And I was also reading a missionary biography by C.T. Studd. And so it was kind of a combination of reading and seeing someone like C.T. Studd who had just given up his fortune and gone to the nations and then working with my parents and the young Iranian believers that they were working with and just seeing too how God brought right out in the middle of sort of nowhere, brought a young man that met us and was a seeker. And here he had been listening. He'd been reading the Quran, listening to the Quran and had heard things about Jesus, about Asa, but really wanted to find out more. He just sensed there was something very different, something special about this prophet. And so he told us he'd been searching and seeking, had not been able to find anything until he came across us. And here we were, a group knew the Lord and some people of his own background who shared the gospel with him, gave him some New Testaments with us. That's really how God kind of got my attention So tell us a little bit about Central Asia. You know, I know it's kind of a vast area made up of many different countries, many different places and peoples where you live and where you serve. Tell us a little bit about the people, the culture. What makes this part of the world unique? Yeah, Central Asia, it's not a place that most Americans know very much about. Of course, I can remember as a, a TCK growing up in this part of the world, going back to the U.S. occasionally and telling people where we lived in Central Asia and people going, where's that? Or if you just say the name, they thought, well, maybe that was somewhere in, in Africa. So it's not a place that's very well known, although I would say that probably since 9-11, more Americans know about countries and peoples in Central Asia than they've ever known before. The Taliban, Al-Qaeda, so you've got countries like all the Stan countries, uh, the Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iran, and then a big part of Central Asia is a place that was hidden for a long time from us because it was part of the former Soviet Union. And, you know, all we really heard about was Russia or the USSR, the Soviet Union. But in that union were seven or eight uh, republics that were made up of Central Asian peoples. And really the best way, Paul, we could characterize the peoples of Central Asia would be linguistic. And so they speak Turkish or Turkic languages and Persian languages. So it's sometimes referred to as the Turco-Persian world. It stretches quite a ways from, say, from Pakistan, you know, all the way over to Turkey and, and even into parts of Bulgaria and Europe where there are Turkic peoples, and then down to the Gulf, 
Persian Gulf, then up through countries like Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, that are all part of Central Asia as well. And in all those countries, really, they, they speak either one variety or another of a Turkic language or a Persian language. Yeah, that's helpful. So as you mentioned, you know, the area, even the connections with the former Soviet Union. I was talking with my class yesterday, actually, mm-hmm. about the collapse of the Soviet Union and how that opened up doors for more work and things to happen in some of those places. So now we're 30 years or so removed from that. What can you say now about the state of the church in this part of the world? Is there a church presence and what does that look like? Yeah, great question. There's a lot of really great things that have happened, especially since those days of, say, the Soviet Union falling and a lot of those countries that were hidden or closed being opened. There are places where the growth of the church has has in some ways exploded compared to what it was before, and there are dozens of churches. There are some countries where, in Central Asia, where it's a bit more open, and so there are above-ground churches. There are other parts of Central Asia, in fact, the part that we work in, that mainly are comprised of believers that and churches that are, we call them underground. There's no above-ground building-based church, but the church is alive and well and growing. We've been just thrilled to be sort of right in the front row of seeing what God has been doing as, again, as the gospel has come to these places that were so long cut off, had so little access there have been people who have responded. Now, it's not easy work. It's not usually what we would call rapid or explosive. It's as the gospel has been sown in these parts, really across all of Central Asia, we have seen just a wonderful response to the gospel and, and seeing leaders and churches being raised up. And that's one of the exciting things I would say really that's happened in this area where we live, been living for the last 10 years a place that historically has really almost had no believers and no churches where maybe before, you know, some people had responded to the gospel, they were generally isolated, uh, persecuted, sort of driven underground, hidden in a lot of ways. There's still challenges, but it's just amazing to see uh, how God has been calling more people to himself and in families, in communities, they're intentionally meeting together, worshiping the Lord. You know, leaders are being trained. It's exciting to see. And they've really got a vision for reaching their whole country, reaching all the different people groups, even that live in their their country. Oh, that's great. When you look back over the last two to three years, what encouraging things have you seen? You know, how is the Lord at work? We know that there are people around the world who are praying for you and praying for your work. So what mm. is the, the Father doing? I think... One of the most exciting things that's happened is really over these last few years, some real leaders, local, you know, indigenous leaders have been been raised up. The Lord's done it. Let me just tell you, there were, there were two gentlemen that at the beginning of this time got put in prison for a month. Things looked pretty dark. They looked pretty tough, but they continued to call out to the Lord. They were miraculously released after a month. They still really don't know exactly why. Just kind of calls me back to Acts and and the New Testament. 
they then just began seeing God work. Now, one of them had an opportunity to really get out of the country. In fact, he was encouraged by some people. He had a, a family, I think a young daughter or two at that point. They were encouraging him, you know, you really need to get out. And he had taken an initial trip out of the country to a country next door. And while there, just experienced God's clear call on his life. And he just, how can I leave my people and the other peoples in my country who have no access to the gospel? And he just felt like they needed to go back. He talked with his wife. They prayed. Praise God, despite encouragement in the opposite direction, he headed back here, teamed up with his other friend who'd been in prison, and they just began really reaching out to a few of the believers that they knew, encouraging them, began meeting together, really began training up some leaders. So that's one of the really encouraging things I'd say that's that's happened most encouraging over these past few years. It's just we have helped in different ways. We've partnered with them, made connections with different resources and material, but they've begun really putting their own training in place to help give their leaders, up and coming leaders, an overview of the Bible. So they've taken now three or four groups at a time, sort of over a year span you know, a week at a time, because there are people who are working or studying or, or doing whatever, but they take them through, again, sections of, of Scripture and kind of doing it as an overview from Genesis to Revelation. And then those leaders are, again, passing that on as they teach in in the groups that have begun gathering. And they've just got a real vision for reaching their, not only their nation, but all of the different peoples, the people groups that live in their country or that comprise it. And so they're intentionally thinking, how can we get materials translated into these people's language and then put some videos or some things on the internet for these people. And so we've seen some exciting things happen there. Praise the Lord. It's encouraging to hear the ways in which the Lord is at work. Even, yeah, like you said, it sounds much like the book of Acts in, in the New Testament, where we hear about people being put in prison, but then being, you know, mysteriously or, or miraculously right. released. And then, you know, the Lord puts a call on their hearts and they step forward in faith and obedience. This is that and his gospel advances through that. So praise right. the Lord for, for what he's doing there. You know, a lot of people that may be listening to the podcast maybe are not so familiar with Central Asia, as we mentioned earlier. So can you tell us some about just the the standard of living there? You know, what is life like for you and, and for others that, that work with you? You know, what day-to-day looks like for you and just even maybe some of the challenges that you all face in terms of where you live and how you have to operate. So could you just tell us a little bit about some of those kinds of things? Yeah, that's a good question. One of the things is, having been out here for a number of years, we've we've seen, of course, a lot of changes happen over the years. So, you know, not that many years ago, I mean, trying to get internet, trying to get email back and forth to communicate with, with our home fellowships and, and uh, even our organization, that was a challenge. The living conditions were more challenging. You know, one of the, the things about the country, that, the place that we live now is historically, places don't come with any kind of central heat. We get cold winters here. And so every winter, you know, people would basically get out there kerosene diesel heaters in a couple rooms and you'd kind of block that space off to try to keep warm or we get a wood heater in a big room but it's amazing what's happened even here over the past I'd say five or six years where the city that we live in now has lots of apartment buildings that have begun 
going up that have central heat. You know, it's, it's not perfect but it's sure a big improvement so that each building will have a big huge coal furnace in the basement and then they'll have radiators we see there's more and more things that are available here to buy as they kind of have opened up to the world so trade has picked up you know in a lot of of central asia and it's it's kind of hard to say what like say life or challenges in central asia because it's going to be different you've got some parts that are quite modern. There are other parts that are much, much tougher. And even within the area where we live, you know, we see different challenges. Some folks live in smaller cities or or up in the mountains where life just in general is much harder, you know, getting food, uh, cleaning food, uh, getting water, heating your your place. There are other places where really a lot of, of great developments have happened. And so, living in a sense is is easier day to day. For example, I wanted to mention about Facebook. One of the exciting things here is the way that the church has put up their own Facebook page and basically begun sharing scripture on that, have begun engaging then people in chats. And so over these past few years, there have been a number of people who have come to the Lord after they, you know, interacted with them online and kind of made sure that these were folks that seemed genuinely interested. Some of the believers then met up with them, gave them uh, scripture, and began sharing with them face-to-face, invited them to, to join their services and worship time. It's been exciting to see how, again, God uses the technology, places that internet's available. We've done massive distributions of digital materials, you know, Jesus Film and, and other evangelistic films, and of course, getting the scripture online. People can then download and read in the privacy of their home. So we're excited about how God is, is using all that. And then it's it's a blessing too to stay better connected with family and friends and churches back home as well. Well, good. I appreciate you being able to share some of that. Just give us some perspective there on what life looks like and some of the encouraging things that you've seen develop in recent years as well. I want to switch gears and ask a little bit of a different question. You know, some of the people that we have listening to the mm-hmm. podcast are people who are aspiring to go and serve the Lord cross-culturally, and mm-hmm. maybe they're in the process of training and preparing for something along those lines. I also know that you and your teams are always praying and asking the Lord to send new laborers to join you in, in the work that you're doing. Right. So the question is, in your particular part of the world— I know that maybe not everybody is, is cut out for work in that particular part of the world, but what kind of people tend to do well in this part of the world? What are the characteristics and the qualities that you look for in new team members? Yeah, we love it when folks come and, and join us. And I would say, you know, probably really the, the first thing is they're called, you know, that the Lord has made made it clear to them that uh, he's been preparing them, is uh, leading them to join the work in this part of the world. I think it goes without saying, but I want to make sure to say it too. We, we want people who have a good, deep, mature walk with the Lord. We all need that. We're not in a place that's easy to be just fed or where resources are just everywhere. We've got to be in the Word, in prayer, walking with the Lord. So we want people who are coming this way, of course, to have a good walk with the Lord. We want people too who are flexible, who are going to be able to kind of roll with the punches. Things don't often go the way that we we plan them. There's one obstacle or the other, or, you know, some changes that, that happen in the most well-laid of, of plans. I would say, too, we want folks who 
are going to, you know, they're going to be willing to rough it. They're going to be willing to live in some risky places, but know too that they're going to connect with the team. We're, we're going to have thought through some of the, the risk. We're going to have some protocols in, in place that will help us to be wise. Again, we don't want to avert risk. I mean, these places are, are unreached because, you know, people have felt like that's too risky a place to go to. And so how does the gospel get here? How do people get access to the gospel? And in that, I would say to the last thing probably is we're looking for people who are going to have a long term vision. You're not going to come out here and in a year or two or even a term, let's say, you know, four or five years, see some incredible, amazing things happen. Yes, there will be some cool, wonderful things that happen, but it's going to be a long slog. And of course, we we just remind ourselves and the folks on our team and new folks that come that what God's called us to do is to be faithful, faithful in sharing the gospel, faithful in building relationships and sharing what God's doing in, in our lives and how he's at work and being those examples and that testimony, living, you know, in front of our neighbors, uh, in the communities, the people that we work with, showing them the gospel, by how we live, how we interact, what our marriages look like, what our families look like, how we face problems and issues that come up. And so, yeah, and that takes a long-term kind of perspective, knowing that God is, is doing things and he's going to use us. But of course, he's going to grow us through that as well. And we need to be good in, in language. We need to understand the, the culture to appropriately communicate the gospel. And that, that takes time. We've got some pretty tough languages out here in this part of the world. But God gives the grace. Yeah, we're, we're excited to, to think about people, new people coming to, to join us and, and to see what God's doing here. That's really helpful. I want to kind of put the next two questions kind of together. And so I'm going to ask kind of two questions and would just love to hear your thoughts. The first one is, can you talk some about the cost of following Jesus in that part of the world? What does it cost brothers and sisters when they choose to follow Christ? That's kind of one, the first part of the question. Then the second part mm-hmm. of the question is, as you think about these local brothers and sisters there, what are some of the things that they are teaching you? Mm, yeah, that's that's a good one. It's very costly out here to go against the grain of your whole culture because, again, most of Central Asia is 90% more, often 95, 97% Muslim. So you've got an Islamic culture that's just steeped in those beliefs and in those practices. So it's costly. You, you know, when people make a decision to follow the Lord, their family, their friends are, are going to start often noticing, well, why aren't they going to the mosque or why aren't they coming to this uh, event or, or that event? And so, yeah, we've had numbers of, of stories of people who've been uh, beaten by their parents. And a lot of this happens right close to home, I mean, or in your home. Your father, your mother, your brothers, your uncles are the ones who, again, are there's not a lot of privacy, so they're right there seeing your life and so often are the ones that react. And uh, we've had people that have been severely beaten, thrown out of their home, disinherited, told not to come back. You know, we've had examples, too, of people who once their neighbors and their community learned that they were believers and, and they had a little business, they deliberately boycotted them or undersold them or just put 
pressure on them. There have been ones, as I mentioned earlier, who've been put in prison. That That's not typically what happens, but there are places in Central Asia where that might be, again, a government pressure that might come from family or friends, again, just trumping up charges or, or wanting to, to, again, try to deter folks who have, as they would say, apostatized and left uh, Islam for faith in Jesus. I think the thing that we've seen and, and learned from the believers out here is um, just we're just amazed at their ability to, again, trust in the Lord in, in some very, very difficult circumstances and through some of those difficult circumstances. Yeah, to go to the Lord in prayer, to, to call out to Him, to stick with their beliefs, and then again, to start being an influence in their families. And so we've seen some wonderful testimonies of people who initially were very much rejected, not listened to, or, or maybe even more severely persecuted, who then, because of their consistency over you know, months and, and years, have really won their, their family back. And then often, you know, the Lord has worked and, and brought some of those family to faith. And uh, it's just been wonderful to see. And, you know, there are there are times that happens uh, in marriages, I mean, uh, where maybe one has come to the Lord or God just uses the life of that person as they live out their faith to really be used to, to bring that spouse or family member to faith in Jesus. So we're really encouraged by the locals. And, and they're putting up with a lot of hardships just in employment, unemployment, living standards, difficulties, getting enough to help their family survive. So they've been some real examples of faithful servants, ones who, who uh, put their trust in the Lord, and uh, we've been encouraged by that. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I want to ask the next question is a little bit more personal in nature, but I just would love to hear your thoughts. And the question is this, you know, day after day and week after week, month after month, for you guys, year after year, what keeps you there in that place, and why are you giving your life to this work? Mm-hmm. Sometimes I've asked that, you know, and, and there are times when you feel like giving up, you feel like, you know, Lord, am I, am I making a, a difference? In the end, even in those, those dark days, those hard days, I don't know, my wife and I, we've found ourselves looking back and remembering the call of, of the Lord on our life. This wasn't our idea, you know, um, this wasn't something that we just dreamed up, truly felt one, the Lord putting these peoples in, in these places on our hearts. And it's being reminded every day of how many people here have no opportunity or have not had an opportunity yet to hear the gospel. In other words, of how little access millions and millions of people have to the gospel. You know, it's one thing we're frankly, a bit shocked about when we will go back to the U.S. and driving around, just seeing how many churches there are, seeing, you know, how many times on the radio we can hear uh, the gospel or, or Christian worship music, bookstores, just there's so many opportunities that here people are not afforded. In fact, they're, of course, blinded by Satan. He's got them in a grip and in his darkness and trying to keep them from the truth. And so we remind ourselves we're here to simply be those lights, to be 
those truth speakers, to be those proclaimers, to let people know that God loves them, that he's sent Christ to die for them, to give them forgiveness of their sins. You know, one of the things we see people struggling with here in different ways is is trying to do enough good things to hopefully get forgiveness of their sins in, in the end. You know, they're hoping that if they give enough to the poor, if they pray enough times in a day, if they follow through with the the different ceremonies that, you know, God is going to ultimately forgive them. Again, we love sharing the the, the gospel of grace and the fact that we can't get ourselves ready for meeting or being accepted by a holy God, but the work has been done through Christ. To be here, it's a privilege. It's, It's a joy. Yeah, there are hard days. There are tough times, but to see believers walking with the Lord, and then sharing that same good news uh, with their family, with their relatives, reaching out even to other people groups that are not kind of their close peoples. Uh, it's just, uh, it's a real thrill and, and joy. It keeps us going, I think, day to day. Jeremy, thanks for sharing that. And yeah, we are grateful for for your obedience, for your dedication, your commitment to the Lord and to His work in that place. So so thank you so much for the work that you're doing and the difference uh, that the Lord is making in and through you and through your work. Last question for you. would love to hear, what is one thing you want everyone listening to this podcast to know or to do? Well, yeah, that's a, that's a great one. I would want people to think, you know, why are there's still so many unreached people groups in the world. In fact, there are also some people groups that we would say are unengaged. There's not even anyone beginning to think about how to get the gospel to them, maybe because they're, it's a tough situation security-wise or, or politically, or they're isolated. But why are the unreached and the unengaged still unreached and unengaged? It's because they're waiting to hear you know, people who are hearing the call of God and are coming to to share the good news with them. That question leads to action. The unreached are, are unreached because, well, so often there's no one there reaching. There's no one who's been willing to say, Lord, use me, send me, take me to those places. And, I, you know, that, that sometimes is going to not be an easy choice. There are going to be risks. There are going to be hardships. But again, God, God doesn't call us to himself to just relax and, and have a good life. He's called us to be his, his ambassadors. He's called us to take the good news, you know, and, and as we're going, wherever we go to, to share it. I look at a map, uh, I listen to the news about so many parts of the world. I think, you know, why have they not yet had a good opportunity to hear the, the gospel, to encounter living representatives of the church and to hear their testimony, to see their lives. So I would hope people would think about that and then action. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Jeremy today. Please, as the Lord brings him to your mind, pray for him and for his family, for his work there in Central Asia. To hear more conversations like this, please subscribe to this podcast and be sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening to this episode. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. Thank you for joining us on Amazon to the Himalayas. This podcast is brought to you by the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. Please visit our website, www.sbts.edu bgs, where you can subscribe to the show and learn more. Also, if you have found these conversations helpful, please leave us a comment or a review. 
and encourage your friends to subscribe to the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for more. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast.